hear us through your AirPods or see us on your laptop, how about meeting us in real life? Because we're taking Queer Money on the road this summer and fall. Visit QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player to find out when we'll be in your neighborhood. So you're a Gen Xer and you haven't been saving for retirement? Well, you're not alone. In this week's Queer Money, we talk about the strategies you can put into place to ensure a safer, happier, and wealthier retirement. We have five tips that will help you do just that. In fact, we have some great tips to use with your parents and your kids to help protect you and them as well as your retirement. Let's get into the only show helping our queer community become financially stronger. There's personal finance for the masses. This is not personal finance for the masses. Okay, let's see if this card goes through for that $8,000 drink. (laughs) (laughs) Everybody wants to be a part of the in-crowd. Everybody wants to to look good. My my decision was, I'm not a victim. I'm not going to stay and work someplace where this is a problem. Normally, we don't drink on queer money, but because we're talking about a subject that David is rather vanilla on... Grab a glass of wine because you're listening to Queer Money with the Debt Free Guys. This is the only show helping our community do more and be more by talking about money from the queer perspective. All right, welcome back, and thanks for joining us again for another episode of Queer Money. We're excited again to have uh, David Ray with us. And this week we have a subject that is a little bit closer to, at least to my heart, and I think John's, um, maybe a little bit less for David, but <laughs> that's this whole he's idea. Baby. <laughs> right, he's a, he's a baby. Uh, and that's this whole idea of Gen X or retirement. We talked about uh, millennial retirement already, and we're moving up in an age bracket here, so now we're focusing on Gen Xers and the what uh, what many people uh, call the lost generation because we're sandwiched between two of the largest generations in history, at least here in the U.S. Uh, so we want to go ahead and dive into that. Uh, John, I think you have a few comments on, on this generation that we yeah. have. Yeah. <laughs> grunge and grunge and flannel knee generation. generation. <laughs> Man, so as I was preparing for this, I kept uh, all these like BuzzFeed things kept popping up and it was like great to see all like these old TV shows and this great music that I miss. Oh. <laughs> it's just not the same. <laughs> but it was I want my MTV. <laughs> <laughs> well, MTV wasn't really paying, playing videos much then anyway. It was long gone. But um, I thought it was interesting. Uh, Pew did a research, did a study in 2014, and they deemed the Gen X generation as um, the neglected middle child because baby boomers get all the attention and uh, millennials, Jesus, you can't turn on the <laughs> news site without hearing a story about a millennial. So, um, so we get neglected and nobody's giving us any love. Um, and unfortunately, we need some love because um, as a demographic, we're not doing very well in preparing for retirement. Um, Anyway, um, so Pew Research also showed that Gen Xers are more concerned about their financial security in retirement than millennials and baby boomers poll, which I thought was kind of interesting, especially um, relative to baby boomers. And then in 2015, Allianz did research that showed that 84% of Gen Xers say they're at stopping work at the age of, reti- uh, at the age of uh, 65 to retire um, is probably unlikely attainable. So our whole hope with this particular discussion is to help um, Gen Xers, specifically the queer community, to um, prepare for retirement. Um, Prudentials did a study um, of the LGBT community, and they found that relative um, that six out of ten LGBT millennials felt unprepared and prepared and all didn't know enough about um, 
investment for retirement relative to the general population um, four in ten. So um, as a demographic, LGBT people are even more concerned about um, retirement. We're glad we have David Ray back since he's the master guru of investing in retirement <laughs> planning. So um, I don't know. Hearing all this, David, do you have any thoughts? A general absolutely. I think there's a whole, there's a whole lot of information you just dropped on us there to kind of break it down. I think sometimes the surveys of how people think they're doing versus what is reality is probably not necessarily what's actually happening. So I think there's probably a lot of baby boomers who think they're going to be fine. They're they're in la la land. Let's be honest, they're behind as well. I think Gen X just kind of seems to be a little bit more realistic on some of this and you take it another step. And I think many in the gay community uh, probably are more realistic on our, our financials at some level. It doesn't mean we're handling it better, but we're more realistic of our, our eventual retirement. And I think you have a lot of people in the community. I know I talk to a lot of people who are right around the older side of the Gen X and they're like, oh, I never thought I'd be retiring. If we talked about people that were maybe adult in the 80s or going through the AIDS crisis, they didn't think they'd be alive. Or, you know, we've talked about it in previous conversations here. We're still going out. We're still very young and active. Uh, we didn't go through all of the triggers of life necessarily that some of our straight counterparts would have. You know, if we're talking, say, 30s to 50, give or take for the Gen X period here, generally by that point, you're married and you have kids and you've moved to the suburbs and you have your wonderful minivan, which I, I don't know many gay people driving minivans. There's a few that maybe for business reasons, uh, no judgment car. David wants to, no, no, I, mean, I don't think the minivan's the top of the list unless you're hauling something or, or something along that way. So I think there is many in the gay community who are doing very well financially. I think there's a lot of people who think they could be doing better. And then there's probably, a group of us or a group of people in the community who are just waking up to, oh, retirement's coming. I just turned 50 or I just turned 40 or I just turned whatever age I am and it's time to really get on track. And I think it's great that you're breaking this down by kind of generation to really make it specific to people because it's really, if you are a Gen X person, it's really time to get on the horse and really start planning for retirement. It'll be here sooner than you think. Uh, you know, we do have the opportunity to retire, and I think we're going to see how the baby movers do, and we're going to see how their parents crash and burn, unfortunately, and retire. <laughs> zero dollars zero dollars saved does not generate a lot of retirement income, and I know I wouldn't want to live off a Social Security check, and I don't think most people listening here would really want to get $1,300 a month uh, and try and live off of it. What was that? Um, you were just crunching numbers earlier. What was that number that you were saying that if um, you would – End up with $800 a month? Right. So what, one of the statistics, and, and John, you can maybe share these numbers here, but one of the ones that I was looking at specifically here was the, the, that the average 40-something has a median uh, savings of $63,000 for retirement. Yeah. And I just annualized that out for an additional 20 years at 7%. And then according to most guidelines, they say take 4% of that annually. Yeah. Use 4% of that annually. Well, that ended up at... $800 a month. I yeah. don't know anyone who, even if you have your, your home paid off, your car paid off, no additional expenses, who would find it comfortable living on $800 a month. That's, you know, that's a, it really paints a bleak picture. That's if you don't add any additional to your investment. So if you're, and that's inflation and, you know, things are going to be more expensive in 20 years. So uh, absolutely. Right. So, yeah. And, you know, some people are, you, you mentioned saving more money potentially, and some people, maybe aren't <laughs> so right. 
Well, you know, and, and the interesting thing about that is that's a median number. So yeah. that means that 50% of people have more than that and 50% of people have less than that. Yeah. It would probably be very interesting to see what that average was. I wouldn't be surprised if that average was, was quite a bit lower just because there are a large number of individuals who just aren't saving at all. Uh, I remember seeing a statistic, uh, I think it was last year, saying that the average American across all age ranges has less than $25,000 saved for retirement. And that, of course, doesn't include uh, larger, gener larger millennial generation, but that also includes the larger baby boomer generation who should have quite a bit more saved. So it's those of us who are who are right in the middle. It it does kind of it paints I guess a little bit of a of a opportunistic picture for us because yeah. it's you know we are we have so much data right now that allows us to be prepared. Well, so that that brings us up to our first question: What's unique about this business and investing environment that Gen Xers can maximize that uh, maybe Boomers or can't? Do we? I have a couple of thoughts on that. I think. Um, especially because we're talking to the LGBT community here. We have the first, we're the real first generation. You're in your peak earning years and you can really be out and about and capitalize on being gay. It's not like, you know, going, oh, I'm gay at work is going to make you more money, but you have a lot more opportunities to be open and, and be yourself to get married, which I think people who are married or paired off end up having, saving more money. There's a million, million things that go into that, mm -hmm. gay or straight, but it's the first time we've really had some of those advantages. And I think also just from a career advancement, we just have a lot more opportunities to be ourselves and to network within the community that can help advance our careers, make more money. And then hopefully, I do think financial habits can be contagious. So hopefully you can rub off on your friends. If you guys are doing a good job, I'm trying to do a good job and rubbing off on my friends. Not everyone else is necessarily doing a good job. We have the contagious in the back, just that direction too. Right? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I do think it's, it's, a, it's a great opportunity. We do have a, a ton of data right now. And with the fact that we can be more open, I've noticed and we've noticed as growing debt for you guys, yeah. there are a ton of networking organizations just in Denver alone. So I imagine like LA, San Francisco, and New York City, it's got to be a huge number of like um, chamber of commerces, yeah. um, professional organizations that you can network. And they're, you know, while they're also great social activities, they're opportunities to network and, and try to advance your career and, and bring in more money that you can then reserve for retirement and investing and not just improve or increase your quality of life. Right. I think one of the other things that's very interesting about the baby boomer generation, I'm sorry, uh, Gen X generation, and the fact that we are a queer community is that 80% and probably in our generation, more likely 90% of us do not have children, yeah. which means we're more nimble, we're more mobile, we, have, we can adapt more quickly. So if we're not at a point right now when we're prepared, we, need, we can be looking at what what, how can I be more prepared? Do I need to take a job in another city where we can maybe lower our cost of living and increase our income? Or is there another job that I can take that uh, would allow us to increase our income so that we can start to save more money, put more money aside? Is it time for us to start thinking about side hustles or additional you know, career options? And we just did, recently did a show with Brian Thompson about midlife career changes. Yeah. Uh, so we do have, a, 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 we're at that point where we have a lot of skills and it may be a little bit more easier for us to, to transition to another career. So I think for the queer community, especially, we can look at all of the advan, uh, advantages that we have and use this as an opportunity to say, let's get ahead. Let's, let's charge in the next 10, 15, 20 years to get ahead. Absolutely. And those are long, definitely conversations. There's not a right or wrong answer of moving to a new city or switching careers, but you definitely want to look at 
what do you want in life? What do you need to be doing? If you're on track and you just want to keep going, if you're, you know, just keep saving and we go, okay, you, you've got this much saved. If you keep doing what you're doing, you're going to be great at 65. Good. Keep doing what you're doing if you're happy. You don't necessarily need to make that big life change to a new city. But if you go, oh my gosh, I can't pay my rent here in, in New York City. I'm living in a studio walk-up apartment with 10 other people <laughs> and rats. Uh, you might want to consider moving else. You know, certain cities are a lot more expensive. I know a lot of people are graying out of San Francisco or growing out of LA because some of the benefits of being here go away or are outweighed by say quality of life in another city. If you can have a house or have a lot more activities in a new city and have more free money, it might make much better quality of life than, Ooh, I live in you know New York city in hell's kitchen and it's fabulous, but <laughs> my lifestyle sucks and there's winter and you guys have winter too, but I don't like cold. <laughs> I'm willing to pay the premium to live in LA, but that's me. So <laughs> I do have a husband to keep me warm. It does get colder in the winter. I'm 65. You know, I got to put on a long sleeve shirt oh, and stuff. <laughs> we do have a lot of opportunities. And I think we, as uh, being gay, because a little bit more accepted, the, the tide is moving in our favor. We will have more opportunities in more cities where I think I talked to the generation ahead of, of the baby boomers. And they were like, you had to move to San Francisco. You had to move to to LA or New York, and you had to be even in the right neighborhood within those cities, where now I feel like you can walk down the street in most of those cities pretty much anywhere and just have the normal danger of anyone getting mugged. So we'll leave it at that. <laughs> uh, you know, and you can live in the Midwest. I wouldn't necessarily, you know, it's to each their own, where <laughs> you can live. And I have people, I have clients in small towns in Kansas and Missouri and all these other places that, you know, you wouldn't think of. Uh, gay people reaching out, but there's still communities there as well. So there's a lot more opportunity. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. You talk uh, talked a little bit about uh, where you live, and I think one of the points that we really want to highlight, uh, we we, we want to try to uh, provide a little bit of advice here, or maybe a little bit of direction to individuals who are in this uh, Gen X generation, uh, some things that they should be considering. And one of the big things that we think that individuals in this Gen, Gen X generation should be considering is is their their cost of living and one of the yeah. biggest pieces of our cost of living is our mortgage uh, or rent and so if you have a mortgage we really want to encourage you as an individual set up a plan and figure out how you can pay that mortgage off before you retire because retiring with a huge mortgage and not having significant income I mean, just think about it today. What would you do today if you had, if you were retiring today and yeah. you had to pay that mortgage? So we want to encourage individuals to, as probably one of our number one points here, is to think about getting your mortgage paid off. Because one of the statistics, what was the statistic, John? 30% of Americans 65 and over had mortgage debt in 2011, relative yeah. to only 22% in 2001. And we're reading more and more, if you pay attention to the financial news, that more and more retirees are struggling. And part of that problem is because they have more and more mortgage debt. So the two don't really go well together, and it behooves us to try to pay our, our mortgage off um, before we enter retirement. Exactly. It's a couple, and it's very interesting there, because I do think a lot of times we take the general public statistics, and I think either that we'll, we'll be better or worse as a community. And it's not that we're handling our money any differently, but I think uh, at least discussing where most of our friends are living or where I'm living, where you're living, Denver is, is probably cheaper than LA, but it's still not a cheap city compared to other places. Right. So I think we're going to have a lot more people in the LGBT community coming into retirement with a mortgage or just because we're buying houses that are three, four, five, twenty 20 times the national average. I don't know where those little uh, houses are that are 50,000. I keep putting up to the bike. I don't, it's not, it's not in downtown Denver and it's definitely not anywhere in LA. So 
things to think about. I, personally, what I'm doing, I, I'm just trying to build up a nest egg that means I have this money saved up. Let's just say my mortgage is a million dollars for a nice big round number. I want to have a million dollars in an account that I can pay off that mortgage whenever I choose. Mm-hmm. I do need the tax deduction now. I want the tax deduction now. My money personally That's is right. earning way more than my interest rate, even without taking in the the account. And it just gives me more freedom. I do like to have some financial independence. So if you get to 50 or 55 and all of a sudden you lose a job or, or life happens, you have a lot more flexibility because once you have a problem of losing a job or a health issue, it becomes much harder to get the money back out of the house. So until we're really at retirement, I'm not always having people rush to pay it down. Sure. But at the same time, I want to have the money. Again, it's the same concept. It's just we're having the money outside of the house. And we can always put it back in. We may want to refinance the house and be like, okay, I'm comfortable with $500 a month. I'm never going to pay this off. But one of my clients who's 85 just got a 30-year mortgage, and he thought that was hilarious because he's like, ha-ha, joke's on them. <laughs> he's not planning on living another 30 years. He's healthy, and he might. But that's that's a little optimistic on life expectancy, yeah. 115. So, uh, But to each their own, the bank gave him a loan, and he's he's happy. His cost of living is is. I mean, it's a tiny mortgage, to be honest, and sure. it's just paying property taxes and paying HOA. And we had a discussion here in California. They lock in your property taxes when you buy the house, essentially, and it creeps up at a very small rate. So he's, he would cost them more to sell it and go rent a place, mm-hmm. even even if you move to Mississippi or something. I don't know. <laughs> he's not moving to Mississippi. We'll leave it at that. Therein <laughs> lies one of the things that David and I came up with. After, or my David and I came up with after we were doing some research. We thought, well, based on how insecure Gen Xers feel with, with retirement and with investing, it probably behooves most of them to get some sort of a financial planner, CFP, whatever, um, to help them out. Somebody who knows a little bit more than they do to help figure out, hey, how exactly do I want to strategize this? Right. Because I think for you, you brought up a great point. Because I'm saying that for myself, I know that money's going to stay in that account and be pay, used to pay off the house. Where I think without me watching or a financial planner or fiduciary watching your account or holding you accountable, it's very easy to go. I want this, or the next car is due, and that money doesn't really stay in the house uh, account. That's one of the biggest benefits I think to actually just paying down your mortgage. Is it, it is hard to get the money back out. I mean, we did see in the. 2000s, you could really refinance your house very easily. It's a little harder now, still pretty easy, but it's a lot easier than going or a lot harder to get a refinance or take money out of your house than it is to go, ooh, it's in my bank account. Swipe. (laughs) (laughs) So it is a little bit of a forced savings. And I do, you know, I am paying my mortgage down a little extra, but not really actively trying to be zero zero out on it but that's that's for me and i i handle my money pretty well which is probably a good thing uh, so that's your job <laughs> that's my job but i do know it's a big goal for a lot of people to really have that paid off and you do want to have a plan one for retirement in general and two for, for what you're going to do with housing you know you choose your mortgage based on how long you're going to stay there if your your dream is to move to arizona or florida and sit in the sun which that seems to be dimming. I don't really hear many people dreaming of that anymore. Uh, you know, you might get a different mortgage than if you're going to be in the house for the rest of your life. Sure. And choose a different house on that note. Yeah. Well, and that brings up another point. You, um, What we got from the, the Brian Thompson interview was the benefit of the gig economy and how if you do want to, to, to consider another career or if you do want to kind of be, be um, geographically mobile or you do want to consider, like you were referencing, maybe working through retirement, um, the gig, gig economy is a great way to take advantage of that because, for example, Brian, um, he started to – 
he started a blog, started talking about you know investing and and helping people with their money before he decided to go from being an attorney to being a CFP. So he kind okay. of got his feet wet. And regardless of what your what your interest is, um, there's probably a way that you can leverage social media, the internet, whatever to to kind of get build your audience and, and get things started. Yeah, Would you exactly. Agree? No, I yeah, definitely. Yeah, lots of opportunities for us too. You know, a lot of people say oh, there's tons of opportunities for millennials. Well, as long as you're preparing yourself and and keeping yourself uh, up to speed when it comes to whatever is unique to your particular industry, you have all the same opportunities you can take advantage of. I think you do run into you have the same opportunities. I just think part of the millennial advantage is if you're 22 and used to eating top ramen for every meal, it's easier to start your vlog with zero income than if you were high a high powered attorney and you're like burn out. Which does happen, and you're making you know a few hundred grand a year to go to a new income. You really have to think about it and make the choice. But I do think with the gig economy, you might be able to consult or work as an attorney part time mm -hmm. and balance the two out. Or like you said, he was doing his blog before he made the big jump, and he really tried it out so you don't jump out the window from work and all of a sudden and and really hate what you're doing or have the shock of going from a high income to a Low income. Sure, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So um, based on everything we've talked about, what do we think some of the most important steps are for Gen Xers to consider um, today? Like what can they, what actions can they start taking today to get things started to improve their, their outlook 20 years down the road? David? Perfect. So I think really, this is, you're, you're right there. I mean, the older Gen Xers are, again, pushing 50 or early 50s, and the youngers are in their 30s, but you're really in the, your prime earning years. You're really when you have time to make compounding interest work for you. So you really do want to get started, figure out where you're at now. And really, even if it's an estimator on the internet, it's not exactly right. Just have an idea of where you need to go for retirement and go, if I keep putting it in, I've got 63,000, the example you gave earlier, and I put in $2 a month, I'm going to have $64,000 and that'll be, that'll be $900 a month. And you go, oh my God, that's not going to work. So, so for Gen X, you know, whether younger or older, you're really in your prime earning years. This is really when you want to take advantage of the opportunity that you have with compounding interest. If a baby boomer comes in at 60 years old, they're going to have to save really out of pocket to get that money for retirement. If you come in and you have some time, that's the one big advantage Gen X has over baby boomers. We have more time, but we don't have a lot of time. Right. <laughs> so, so don't sit on your it's hands. Cheap. Don't don't put it off. Get started. And I think, you know, even if you can just increase what you're putting into your 401k, that might be from zero to one percent. You know, put you know, put that money in there, whatever you need to do to increase it and mark your calendar every quarter or every six months and increase it one percent. I think some people freak out, they go, Oh my God, I'm never gonna be able to save enough to get there, or they run the calculator, which is a step that many skip, but they go, oh my God, I should be saving this amount. I'm saying to save $1,000 a month. There's no way in hell I can save that. Well, okay, start with 100 and then just keep edging it up and you'll, you'll get there eventually. Or worst case, I mean, not to just be, don't do anything, but even if you need to save 1,000 and you save 500, you're way better off than the person who saves zero. Because right. again, we can do the calculation. If you save zero dollars, it's zero percent interest. <laughs> presides zero income, and I can do that in my head. Do that in your so head. And zero income. You probably won't have a problem paying for rent because you'll be on the you'll be homeless on the street. And uh, I'm here to scare you. Uh, save your money. I do think you know. Sit down with a certified financial planner. It, it will get the ball rolling for most people. It's the kick in the butt. Um, I know a lot of people call me, and they say I've been meaning to call you for years. <laughs> and when they finally call, they're so happy, and we get things moving and all of that fun, good stuff for them. But it really gets the ball rolling. And it takes the pressure off, especially for couples. You know, it really 
there's two opinions on everything. And I know couples also fight about money. That's not a generational thing, uh, but it happens for all of us. So, and I think that one of the, the points here is that this is your opportunity to start accumulating wealth and not right. things. You know, a lot of individuals in our uh, who are gen, uh, gen Xers are thinking about, oh, I can enjoy the finer things in life now. Well, if you want to continue enjoying enjoying the finer things or even the mediocre things in life, you're going to have to have an extended income. And so this really is that opportunity. So um, are, are you spiraling up, spiraling up a home or spiraling up your car purchases or the, the, the big purchases? Well, if you're not saving enough for retirement or putting away money for retirement, think about the advantages you have, like you said, with the this amount of time, because you don't want to have to be putting away $17,000, $18,000 a year in the last five or six years of your earning years and live off of ramen <laughs> then. Everybody's dissing ramen, but ramen's good now. <laughs> right. Well, I, not, I, not every meal of every day, and it's right. probably not well, – we have some John good ramen is, restaurants in Denver. John is thinking about high quality ramen that's uh, fifteen twenty dollars. Top ramen. Ra <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm alluding to the college days where you had your top ramen with some heated water poured on, and it's not exactly the uh, finest <laughs> finest meal, three for a dollar or whatever it is. We're all talking about um, now's the time to invest. Increase your four hundred one k. Start your four hundred one k if you haven't. Um, you know, don't don't be complacent like you might have been in your twenties and thirties, but you know now is the, is sort of the last um, hurrah to get started. You can't wait any longer. Right. So, what um, in in general terms, not specific, um, since I know you can't give specific advice. What kind of investments might a Gen Xer start considering, and can we maybe talk about maybe general portfolio allocations? Yeah. So, I mean, you really want to be diversified, and depending on where you're at, the older. The older Gen Xers be a little less aggressive than the younger people. But if you're just starting out, you probably are going to need to be a little bit aggressive. Your, your small amounts of money in there do need to grow. You do have time and you're putting money into the 401k each month. So it's kind of like dollar cost averaging, which you put money on a regular basis and buy into a portfolio, which lowers your risk generally. So I would think you want to be diversified, you know, pick a few funds. You don't need to go to, uh, I see this very often where people put a little bit into every single fund in their 401k, which can be really interesting when there's a hundred funds there. A duplication. But, uh, without giving specific advice, you know, try and, try and find a planner or find someone to help you with it. But if, if you don't know what you're doing, but, um, you know, break it up into a few different funds, you know, pick some index funds, pick some different types of investment funds, a lot of times on the 401ks, they'll give you different categories. So maybe one per category is just the thought and break it up from there. Uh, just just general guidance. They're not specific sure. advice. But you know, the important thing is to get started. And even if I, I tell people, if you're just saving the money, that's the hard part. And even if you don't know what you're investing in, you're probably going to do better than if you don't save the money and spend it. So, And you can always adjust it. You know, I have people that maybe started a few months ago in their 401k and they'll bring in the statements and we'll get it fixed going forward because it's better to be in an okay allocation than no allocation. Right. So you both mentioned big words to me. Um, okay. Compounding interest. What's yes. compounding interest and what's the benefit of that? So that's when your money starts making money for you. So let's just say you, you have that $63,000 account and it goes up to 70000 Well, that 6000 or $7,000 of interest that you made, the next round makes interest and that interest makes interest. So all of a sudden, you know, if you look at a financial plan, quite often you have all this money invested and it, more money is being made than you're putting into it. It's probably more money, especially at the end, for a lot of us, more money is being made on the portfolio than you're making working, <laughs> which is really where that last year or two or three works. Uh, Passive growth. You, you really need to be 
working those last two or three years, which is a- all right. Cool. So thank you. Um, so what is um, asset allocation? David, so asset allocation is basically <laughs> how you break up your investments within, say, a portfolio. So you might have companies that may be domestic, which would be companies in the U.S. or companies in, say, Brazil or, or, or other countries, um, bonds, large companies, small companies, all kinds of fun things like that that you might see. Some blah, 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 small cap company, blah, 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 mid cap company. You know, you might see those funds. I want that investment, blah, 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 blah. It's a great one. Spell that. Don't spell it wrong. Blah, 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 blah isn't very good. So uh, it's just a way to, it's the choosing between different investments, uh, portfolios, basically to make up a portfolio for you. Is that just here? And so the better your asset allocation is, the better the performance of your um, portfolio. Well, I think it's it's really that it allows you to shift risk. So when one is up, hopefully the other, or I'm sorry, when one is down, hopefully something else is up and compensating for that because they don't always all move in the same direction. Gotcha. And not all portfolios are trying to get the absolute best performance because I think some portfolios be way too aggressive for a retiree. So sometimes you have risk-based portfolios that, you know, they're allocated to try and not be crazy aggressive, where if you're 22 and you're just starting out, you say, screw it, I'll ride the roller coaster up and down, you know, you can go right into the full market or be pretty aggressive, where the 65-year-old who's counting down the days till they, they clock out and retire is probably not going to want to see a down day in that portfolio. I mean, they, they will and they won't, but the, you know, you want to be a little bit more conservative there. So mm-hmm. things to think about. Gotcha. Yeah. And then, so um, the Gen Xers are, are kind of the heads of the household right now. Um, we're our peak earning years. We're probably leading in our organizations um, in general terms. Um, how should we be thinking about other generations right now? How should we be um, considering um, our children and our parents? Any considerations there, David? Yeah, I think that one of the important things here is uh, to remember to not get financially sandwiched. Uh, one of the big things is you, you have... Uh, most likely have parents who are aging and hopefully they've been taking care of themselves financially. But if they haven't, this is the opportunity for you to have those conversations with them and talk about planning for them. Uh, if, uh, if they need to, or definitely look into long-term care insurance, you don't want to have to be spending the rest of your life working to make sure that your parents are uh, able to, to live out their lives somewhat comfortably. So let's, you know, look at insurance. I think one of the other things, it's not, it's unfortunately not a great topic to start talking about either. And that is, uh, is life insurance. You know, if your parents are straddled with debt, you don't want to have to be responsible for paying their debt when they pass away. So you want to, you want to maybe look at what kind of life insurance will allow you to take care of, or at least meet their needs. And what's interesting is we did find out recently that, um, that there are life insurance policies that do have a, provision in them when you're if if you are in a medical situation where you're terminally ill that it can cover some of those medical costs so that you or your family is not all of a sudden bankrupt because of some sort of medical emergency right i think that's the big one to think about with your parents generation I write about this pretty regularly on my blog, financialplannerla.com, and we do talk about the sandwich generation, and we do talk about the life insurance that has, you know, quite often some policies have terminal illness, some also have chronic illness, which would be more like a long-term care writer, mm-hmm. as well as a death benefit, and sometimes even uh, some of the better policies have critical illness and critical injury. So picture the 80-year-old, we don't want to think about it, but an injury 
someone breaks a hip, it may not be a terminal illness, it may not be cancer, but a hip will lay you up uh, whatever age you are. So those types of things. And sure. you brought up the sandwich generation. It's very unique in the gay community because I think we're going to get saddled. And I mean, it's in a nice, happy way. I love my parents if they're watching. <laughs> uh, we're probably, if we are childless, I think if you have siblings, they're going to point at you because you're childless to go take care of mom or dad or both because you have time. You don't have these little right. what do you got to do? brats <laughs> or kids uh, <laughs> sucking at the teeth still, running around spending your money. So we, we have that. And then flip that. I try and make it as fun as possible. I'll tell you that. And then we also add that most of us, most of us don't have children. So, you know, we're not going to have those children doing the same things for us in retirement that we might be doing for our parents and it you know a lot of the care you get when you're older isn't necessarily just i'm in a nursing home or i went to the doctor it's making sure you're alive is a fun one um making sure you're taking your pills or you need to just think about it i know i have a lot of clients whose parents are in their 80s and 90s and it's like okay the plumbing's out at mom's house so i'm going over there to check on her and make sure she doesn't get taken advantage of by the plumber so all of a sudden the plumbing bill is a real plumbing bill not a ten thousand dollar you know new toilet for no apparent reason so <laughs> yeah, exactly. you know, or money's just not disappearing so there there are things that we might not have by not having children you're going to spend a lot less in uh, your older years not having children, but you're just going to prepare for it. You know, raising a kid is expensive. So things to think about. And you brought up a great point. You don't want to be stuck in the middle of that sandwich because if you're if you are paying for kids, especially a lot of us in the gay community are having children later. So we will be uh, ha the sandwich is a little different. If you have your kid at 40, you're, <laughs> yeah. it's really more likely to be really when you're you're handling raising your children and they're dependent on you while you're taking care of your parent compared to someone who maybe has their children in their 20s or teens. Hi. So it, it sounds like then maybe that, you know, Gen Xers should organize like a life insurance and um, long-term care insurance party with their mom and dad. And everybody can just sign up for all that stuff together. I'll and, come out and take care of all of it. But. And then they're protected and then their parents are protected and everybody's protected and everybody's great. Right. Exactly. <laughs> it's kind of like the planning ahead though. Cause you know, your parents, if you're, Gen X, or even if you're on the older side, your parents are still probably healthy. The oldest, you know, the parents are maybe as high as like 80 years old, which is quite old, you know, depending on, on where they had you. And it's better to know that they have some of these things in place so you can prepare too. If you know mom and dad have no long-term care or they're on a crash course, if they live to 84, if they do live a day longer, <laughs> they're out of money. Uh -oh. You know, you want to know that so that all of a sudden, oh, things are fine. Things are fine. It's, you know, they've been great. They've been retired for 20 years. It's going great. And all of a sudden it goes from great to not great. You might be able to do some things before there's a problem. Or if your parents are still healthy, you might be able to get insurance where you're paying for it because they can't afford it, but you're looking at protecting yourself. Right, right. Um, some of that insurance that has some of the extra protections, you're not trying to buy life insurance on your parents to get rich, <laughs> but if you just know that you're going to be the one responsible paying, if they do need to go in a nursing home, it might make sense for you to go, okay, I'm going to be having to pay for this care. Or I'm going to be having to pay for this. If you can get a little protection on life insurance that has some protection, if they do go into the nursing home, or if you're giving them money that it will pay you back so that you have money to go into your retirement fund to kind of catch up, perhaps. You're not trying to get rich off your parents, but it can kind of just repay you, essentially, for money you're you're paying to give No, back. that makes sense. Yeah. And you, bring, you brought up a point. You know, many in the gay community who are having children are having children later. That brings us to uh, one of the points that we talked about earlier was um, – you know, don't sacrifice your retirement because you're trying to put your children through school. And this probably applies to everybody in, in the yeah. 
regardless of what age you were when you had your children, don't sacrifice, you know, make sure you put on your oxygen mask before you put on your children's oxygen mask, right? So don't, um, you know, if they want to go to school and you don't have the money, then unfortunately it's up to them to fund their, their education and, and don't sacrifice yourself for that. Right. I think the big thing here is no one, we, we look towards our parents and we say, yeah. I don't want, I don't want my parents to be a financial burden to me. You know, I think that a lot of us consider that and, and worry about that. I hope that they are not. Well, we have the opportunity now to make sure that we're not a financial burden to our children if we have children. And one of the easiest ways to be a financial burden to your children is to take care of them financially now and not take care of yourself. So if you're not taking care of yourself financially first, thinking of yourself first, then you the, you very likely will be a financial burden to them. And there's no guarantee that your children are going to be there, whether physically or um, relationship-wise, be there for you when you yeah, are Mommy Dearest didn't have right. Because <laughs> Tina was not going to pay for, for mom's retirement. Right. <laughs> yeah, fortunately, she had a ton of money, so she didn't have to worry. But you know, that I guess that's a situation you want to think about, you know, is are you going to be able to take care of yourself no matter what it, your future is with whoever your relationship is? Right. Is with. I'm seeing Grey Gardens this evening. So. <laughs> <laughs> she stayed with mother. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. They both kind of just spiraled down together. Right. <laughs> Not sure it's a win-win-win, but the daughter was there to take care of her and right. they're what, 400 cats? Jackie tried Cat to help. Food. <laughs> um, so that, I think that kind of covers most points. Do we have any last uh, pieces of advice we want to provide before we, we wrap it up? I think it's a pretty good conversation. I think that one of the things I would remind individuals is, it's, and this is, this is not to just Gen Xers, it's to anyone who's listening, that it's so easy for us to get wrapped up in lifestyle creep. Um, and the, oh, yeah. the, the life we, the world we live in today, the images that we're constantly being shown are ones that say, you'll be happy if, if you get this car, if you buy this house. It, it was very funny. I had a knock on the door today while I was working here at home and there was a realtor at the door and she said, the prices in your, in your building are skyrocketing. Sell your place now. Make lots of money. You can move up to a nicer place. And, you know, no consideration as to what my financial situation might be she was just thinking about you know take advantage of all herself. these great opportunities so, about herself right well you know and, and so it, it's very easy to get trapped into that whether it's those kinds of things or just the simple lifestyle creep of let's go out to dinner twice or three times a week more than we used to uh, and so uh, we want to encourage individuals to think about that we did a short Monday money minute video on our site uh, about lifestyle creep lifestyle creep and how to prevent that uh, and we also have a book called Do You Know How to Be Money Conscious? I think it's something that uh, individuals um, can oftentimes get uh, lost in, this, this uh, unconscious spending. So uh, if you join the Queer Money uh, newsletter, you get a copy of that book for free. So uh, right. join the Queer Money blood, blood, newsletter, blood. get that book, and check out that video so you can figure out ways to, to, to help yourself save a little bit more money. And like you said, David, even if it's just a couple hundred dollars more a month, if $500 a month, uh, at 7% over 20 years is going to yield you hundreds of thousands of dollars. So it's something that you can take advantage of right now. It's not an either or, you know, you don't have to win the race. You just need to be moving towards the finish line. <laughs> I think it's important to keep point. in mind. Yeah. Sometimes people think I got to just focus on this one thing and you don't, if you do it strategically, you can have a good quality of life now and one later. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. And, um, you are at financialplannerla.com, right? Correct. They want to find out more about David Ray 
And um, well, very cool. I think it was a good conversation we had today. Absolutely. And Thanks, you guys. Just yeah. one, one other question for you, David, since we have a national audience here. And you mentioned that you have clients nationally. That's Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. Right. So you don't have to just be living in L.A. or California to work with David. David's available to everyone. <laughs> Spread the wealth. <laughs> clients all over the place. I, I build long-term relationships with my clients. And if they move and they have friends other places that want to talk to me, some clients I've never met uh, in person, and sometimes we do calls, and sometimes they fly in, and sometimes I fly in. So we, we make it all fun. Nice. Great. Thank That's you. Cool. Right. Well, thank you very much for joining us today. We uh, love having you back. We're also going to, um, in short stint, talk about um, what retirement considerations baby boomers should um, take into account. Um, so we'll do that shortly, and uh, don't forget to come back next week for another Queer Money. Yeah. And if you have any questions, remember, you can connect with us on Twitter and Facebook in the Queer Money group on Facebook or at Debt Free Guy, the, the Debt Free Guys page. Uh, send us your questions so we'll be ready to answer them. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Thank you again, David Ray from FinancialPlannerLA.com for joining us for another great show. So here are your five takeaways from this week's episode. One. Remember to create a plan and work it so that you have your mortgage paid off at or before retirement. Two, don't get sandwiched by your parents' lack of preparation. Get them signed up for long-term care and life insurance to reduce your financial liability as you approach retirement. Three, never forsake your retirement to fund your children's education. You don't want to be a financial burden to them in in the future when you're in retirement. You're not the bank of mom and mom. Four, sign up for long-term health care and life insurance for yourself, even if you don't have children. And five, right now, focus on accumulating wealth rather than things. A big home and a mortgage or, or a fancy car and payments are worthless to you when you don't have income in retirement. So spend time maxing out that 401k and those Roth contributions. Here's to an awesome Gen X retirement and a life where you can do more and be more. Thanks again for joining us on Queer Money. Okay, we just serviced you. Now you get to service us by subscribing to this podcast on iTunes and signing up for the Queer Money Lifestyle Newsletter at queer.money. Well, I'm not really gay. (laughs) (laughs) would help me if I had a personal chef made all me all my healthy meals for me. Right. So instead I'll have a Snickers tonight for dinner. <laughs> <laughs> the other end I like the butts, so <laughs> yeah. uh. From Los Angeles, California to Winooski, Vermont, we're taking queer money on the road. Join us as we gamify personal finance with Queer Money Bingo or catch our signature Live Fabulously, Not Fabulously Broke Talk and so much more in between. Check out QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player regularly for date and location updates.